Let's pray over the Word here tonight. Father, we thank You for Your Word. I thank You that Your Word says that heaven and earth will pass away, but Your Word will never pass away. I thank You for the eternal value of the Word of God. Holy Spirit, we thank You for writing the book. Thank You for giving it to us. And thank You for helping us understand it. I pray tonight that You are the teacher. And you bring revelation tonight as we delve into some things from your word. Lord, we thank you. We honor you for the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, one thing I know that God wants, and that is he wants us to come to a place of maturity. Now, maturity is not always age. Because I know people who've been Christians for 30 years, but they're one year old 30 times. And that's a big difference in being mature and maturing in the Lord. And we want to come to a place of maturity. The purpose of the fivefold ministry in Ephesians 4, you know, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, is to help people come to a place of maturity. That's what the Bible says. In Ephesians 4.12 it says, Their job is for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. We sometimes think it's the preacher that has the work of the ministry, but it's the preacher's job to perfect the saints for the work of the ministry. All right, For the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The word perfect literally means mature. God wants us to come to a place of maturity. He wants us to be mature Christians. The time has come for all of us to no longer be babes in Christ, but to be the bride of Christ. Too much, too much of the time, Christianity is focused on me and not on Christ, and that's who we need to be focused on. The time has come, the Bible teaches, for a manifestation of the sons of God. We, the world needs to see the church. The world is groaning and in need of the church rising up in this hour. The church has been silent. The church has been struggling to have a voice, but she needs to rise up. That begins in the place of prayer. That begins in the place of you and I each getting hold of what God says in His Word. That means i got to get my mind off of me. Sometimes I have me on my mind way too much. We need to have Him on our mind, have His kingdom on our mind. The scripture says this in Colossians chapter 3, in verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. Set your affection. That little phrase, set affection, means to exercise the mind. We need to be exercising our mind on things that are above. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean we're supposed to be thinking about the angels and harps and all that stuff? We have, there's no place in the scripture that tells us that the angel floats on a cloud with a harp. Just thought I'd let you know that. Uh, most angels are, are, are the warrior type, and, and uh, I don't think you'd want to see them sitting on a cloud. But, we have, but what it's talking about is the scripture says that his thoughts are above. We need to be thinking what he thinks. How do we do that? We think on his word is full of his thoughts and we need to be exercising our thoughts on his word. 
That's how we think. That's how we, that's how we exercise the mind on things above. What does he say? Not focused on the circumstances of the world, but focused on what he has said. All right, so he set our affection. Hebrews 5.14 is talking about the word here. This is, this is what it's talking about. It says, but strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even who by reason of use have their senses exercised both to discern, to discern both good and evil. What that scripture tells us is that as we mature in God and we mature in the word and we fill ourselves with the word, even our senses become familiar with the Word of God. And we use, as we use on a regular basis, our senses will be trained to know what is right and what is wrong. Wouldn't that be good? You already know it. <clears throat> There's times you know something ain't right before you do it. There's a big old red light in the Spirit and you run it and do what you wanted to do anyway. We need to learn how to let our senses be trained by the Word that when the Holy Spirit says don't, we don't. When He says do, we do. We need to grow up in the Lord. We don't need to be babies in Christ. He loves babies, but He doesn't want you to be one all of your life. Amen. I love my kids when they were babies. Oh, I loved them so much. But I would be disappointed today if we were still changing diapers. You know... Uh, we need to grow up. I read about a man who took his four-year-old son to McDonald's for dinner. It was kind of a guy's night out. And so the boy said, Daddy, what are these little things on the hamburger buns? And the dad explained to the son that they were tiny seeds and that they were okay to eat. Well, the boy was quiet for a couple of minutes, and the man could tell he was in deep thought about something. Finally looked up, and he said to his dad, he said, Dad, if we go home and plant these seeds in our backyard... Will we have enough hamburgers for the rest of our lives? <laughs> we need to not be so naive into thinking that we don't have to grow up. The, 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 the misconstrued concept of grace is that all we have to do is sit on the couch and God does everything else. The misconstrued concept that everything is the will of God that happens is simply not true because if it were true, we wouldn't be praying, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as is in heaven. We know that God is not the one who's in charge of the rapist or the anarchist. That's not God's doing. That's because there's a curse in this world and the God of this world has people going in different directions. Our job is to grow up in Him, be what we're supposed to be, grow into a mature Christian, Man, by doing what the Word says. Unfortunately, most Christians think that they can become mature by sitting in a pew on Sunday morning. Can I just tell you, you can't become a mature Christian by sitting in a pew on Sunday morning any more than you can become a Cadillac by sitting in your garage on Sunday night. It takes more than that. We have to grow up. We must take His Word. We must believe what He said and live our lives that way. We can't be clueless. Now, before I get into this, I want to remind you over the past many weeks, we've been looking at a passage of Scripture from John chapter 14 that we're not going to turn to tonight, where Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And then later he said, he, said, he, who, he who has and keeps my commandments is he that loves me. And he that loves me, the Father will love him, I will love him, and we will come and we will move in with him or make our abode with him. 
and I will manifest myself to them. We found out last time that that word manifest means I will make myself real to them. Now, my concern is, among Christians, is that Jesus isn't exactly real to us. We have this super spiritual, we think spiritual idea of who he may be and what he may do. We want Jesus to be real to us, okay? So I'm going to read a passage of scripture that you have read before, and I want us to, I want us to be, let it be real to us tonight. By the way, if he's real, then he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he's real, he still does what he did in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? He still does the same things. And so I want us to understand there's a spiritual world that we're a part of. We live in a physical one, but Jesus has to be real. And if we're going to operate in this world the way Jesus taught us to operate in it, we're going to figure out how he did that and understand it's very real. So I'm going to read to you from John's Gospel, chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. And you've heard this story before. And after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, of halt, withered, waiting for a moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I'm coming, another steppeth down before me. Notice Jesus isn't even going to argue with him. I want you to notice this. Jesus doesn't even pray. Doesn't pray a prayer. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was, whole, was made whole, took up his bed, and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. Now, I think we've all heard that story before, but let's make it real to us. Take off our religious glasses for just a couple of minutes, and let's look at the story. Let's look at what happened. Now, I've preached from this lots and lots of times. He went, this place is called Bethesda. Bethesda means house of mercy or house of grace. Five pools, the number five represents grace. This is an irony to me. It's supposed to be a house of grace, and yet it's truly a house of misery. Because people are there on these five porches waiting to get into the water so they can be healed. I mean, it may be called house of grace because a few miserable souls get healed from time to time. The word sheep market should be translated sheep gate. This was a gate that sheep and cattle were brought into the city. So it's the sheep gate is where they are. There's a pool, there's this five-porch colonnade, and here the infirmed waited for an opportunity to be healed. Jesus comes along, he comes and he asks this man, Wilt thou be made whole? Is that not a silly question? 
don't you? Why would Jesus ask that question? The man is waiting for a stirring of the waters. Certainly, he wants to be healed. Seems like there's an obvious answer. Hmm. Maybe Jesus is asking us some questions, and the answer isn't as obvious as we think it might be. Maybe we ought to listen to what he said. Let me ask you a question. Don't answer it out loud. How much do we really want what God has for our lives? How much do we really want that? We say we want God in our lives, but do we really? If he, Jesus comes to live with us, like we said last week, he's going to interfere in some things. Do we really want him to interfere in those things? Do we have pet things in our lives that we don't want to get rid of? We say we want a move of God in our city, but do we really? Do you realize how messed up people are? And what would happen if we had to go minister to some of those filthy people? Oh my goodness, we might get our hands dirty. We might hear stories we don't want to hear. We say we want to see, see people saved and lives changed. But do we really? See, the question, it seems that the question that Jesus asked isn't do we want them, but here's what he's asking. He's asking how bad do we want them? The Amplified Bible says, here answers the question this way. Are you really earnest about getting well? In other words, how bad do you want to get well? How bad do you want it? So let's talk about it for a couple minutes. First of all, now we're going to be real here. This is very real stuff. Jesus literally came to the pool. Literally healed the man. Literally said to him, are you earnest about getting well? So let's talk about it. So I want us to know, first of all, an angel came to stir the waters from time to time. Isn't that interesting? An angel came. Imagine all these sick people gathered around the pool waiting for an angel to come. An angel is a spirit being, right? Anybody ever seen an angel? Somebody, some may have. I mean, angels move so fast that they're hard to see, I'm, I'm thinking. I mean, but why? Because they're spirit beings. They're real. They're spirit beings. The Bible here says that this spirit being came at a certain season and stirred the water. That means agitated the water. And the first person in the water was healed. A spirit being came and stirred the water. The first person was healed of whatever was wrong with them. That's, that's kind of neat. It says, whatsoever disease they had, they were healed. If you were first, whether it was cancer, paralysis, or acne, you got healed. The first person in the water got healed. I mean, it didn't matter. So these people in that time believed in a spirit world. Because they believed an angel came and stirred the water. By the way, Jesus believed in a spirit world. If we're going to get real with Jesus, we need to understand there's a world out there that's the spirit. A spirit world. Jesus, over and over, he would cast out demons. 
demons are other spirit beings. And Jesus believed that they existed. And he understood that he had authority over them. As, as Not just because he was the son of God, but as the son of man, he had authority over demon spirits. In fact, he told the church that we have authority over demon spirits. He said that if we believe, we will cast out demons. Demons are very real. They're part of a spirit world. The thing we need to understand is the natural world we live in was fathered by the spiritual. The spirit world predates the natural world and will outlast the natural world. Do you believe in a spirit world? Do you believe there are spirits? What, so what do we do about that? Do we just have the knowledge to do nothing? We need to understand there's something we're supposed to be doing. Most people believe that their spiritual life begins when they die. That's not true. Your spiritual life doesn't begin when you die. Most people think once they're dead, now we can go have our spiritual experience. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The scripture teaches that you are right now a spirit. The real you is a spirit. You have a soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions, and you live in a body. What most of us recognize is your body, but your body is not you. Because at some point, this thing called death comes. By the way, the word death doesn't mean annihilation. It means separation. And when your body stops, your spirit and your soul will come out of your body and the real you will leave it. And we think, when I think of you, I think of your body because that's what I think of. I see that. But that's not the real you. The real you is your spirit being. Well, the Bible calls it a spirit man. So ladies, you have a spirit man. Men, we are the bride of Christ. So get over it. We, we need to understand this. You have a spirit man. A spirit being is who you are. You are spirit. God made you that way. That is the real you. I like that because the real me is skinny. Man. No, no, but I, don't, but I don't have to wait until my body dies to engage in the Spirit. Think about this. The Scripture says in 2 Corinthians 4.16, Our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. What is the inward man? It's your spirit. Your inward man is your spirit. Right now, if your spirit man is one of faith, you're getting stronger and stronger on the inside, even though we get older and our outward man is perishing a little bit, our inward man should be getting stronger and stronger day by day. As long as we're here, it needs to get stronger. It doesn't say that the inward man will all of a sudden get strong once you die. It should be getting stronger now. We're, we shouldn't be these people that when our body dies and we enter the spirit realm, our, the real us enters that realm, and that's the only realm we're in, we shouldn't be surprised at what's going on in the spirit realm because we ought to be having some experience in the spirit right now. It shouldn't be strange to us. Now, this isn't referring to my mind. The scripture says this in, in verse 18 of, of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and I'm going to teach on this next time we get together. While we look not at the things which are seen, 
but at the things which are not seen. Now, that sentence doesn't make any sense in the natural mind. But the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. It's not talking about our mind. It's talking about our spirit. Seeing into the spirit. The Bible teaches us that God is a spirit, right? That's what Jesus said. He said, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. We're to fellowship with him while we're in this world, not just when we go to heaven. We're to fellowship with him now, and we fellowship with him in the spirit. That's because I'm a spirit. You're a spirit. And we fellowship him with him in the spirit. I had an incredible encounter with the Holy Spirit one time many years ago. And the Holy Spirit was speaking to me. And I figured out he wasn't moving his mouth. But I understood everything he said in my spirit. When I spoke to him, I used my mouth. But that's because I'm just a, a human in a human body. But... I understood him by the Spirit because the Spirit took to my, spoke to my spirit. So the Bible commands us to worship God, but we have to worship him in the Spirit. We're supposed to worship. Jesus said, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. So we're commanded to worship him, but the way to worship him is in the Spirit, not in your soul. What's your soul? Your mind, your will, and your emotions. Worship of God does not have to be emotional. It can be. I mean, we're, we're humans after all. It can be very emotional. And it's fun when it's emotional. It doesn't have to be emotional. Just because I don't feel anything doesn't mean I'm not worshiping Him. Because it's spiritual, not emotional. Okay, so we worship Him in the Spirit. The only way it, to have fellowship with God is to be aware of a spiritual world. Hebrews 12, 9 tells us that God is the Father of spirits. Well, Jesus said God is our Father. So what, is he, what spirits is He the Father of? Us. He's our Father. Our spirits. So, this time that we're in right now is just the beginning, not the end. This is what I call our earth tour. This is, we've been assigned to earth during this time we're wearing our earth suit. And this is the shortest thing that we will ever do. Because eternity is the next assignment. The Bible tells us in Galatians 5.16, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And verse 25 says, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. That's talking about right here, right now, we're supposed to be walking in the Spirit. Living in the Spirit. Romans 8, chapter 4. Chapter, Romans 8, verse 4 through 9 that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. 
So when we walk in the Spirit, we fulfill the righteousness of the law. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Talking about what your mind is on. If you walk in the flesh, your mind is on the flesh. If you walk in the Spirit, your mind is on spiritual matters. That's what that, we've taught on that many times. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. You're a spirit. You're called to walk in the Spirit, to live in the Spirit. Every believer ought to be aware of and involved in the Spirit world. This is kind of eye-opening, maybe. There are demon spirits. We know that. Jesus had a two-step program for dealing with demons. He said, shut up and get out. That needs to be your program as well. Not argue with them. If they, I'm telling you, you start arguing with the demon... And start dealing with them. They'll have you buy them a hamburger before it's all over with. You need to just tell them to shut up and get out. They're spirits. They're angelic spirits. The scripture says in Psalm 103, they hearken to the voice of His Word. That's what they do. They're ministering spirits. They, they long to look into salvation. They think you and I are the strangest things in the universe. That God would love us so much that He would pay the price of Jesus. And they cannot figure out what is so lovable about us. And they long to look into it. They said, what is man that you are mindful of him? These are their spirits, but they're not us. They're not human beings. A different spirit. The devil, he's a spirit. I mean... We have this, this picture of the devil that he's this big, mean, ferocious thing. He's got fangs and he's got the tail and the pitchfork. And that's, you know, Hollywood portrays him as the most, most frightening thing you will ever encounter. But listen to what Isaiah says about him. This is our future reaction when we see him. It says, They that see thee, talking about the, to the devil, they, they that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee. You know what that narrowly look upon thee means? To squint your eyes. <laughs> Saying, is this the man that made the earth to tremble and did shake the kingdoms? When you finally see him, you're going to look at him and go, that's him? That's who we've been afraid of? That's, that little squirt is who we've been dealing with? He's a master deceiver. He's masterful at it. His weapon is deception. And his job, he believes, is to cast doubt on the Word of God and make you not believe what I just said about him. That's what he does. Now, the best spirit is the Holy Spirit. I mean, he's the good spirit. He lives inside your spirit, communicates with you from there. Now, I understand people have heard audibly the voice of God. Don't doubt it. I've never heard an audible voice. Maybe you have. And that would be, I would love it if that was every day. If the Lord just said, Randy, it's time to get up. Okay. <laughs> the Lord would say, okay, you know, do this. Or when somebody yells at me, gets mad at me or whatever, and the Lord would say, no, no, say this. 
But he will say that to me if I will listen in my spirit, my spirit being. I mean, if you're not spiritually aware, you'll not hear his voice. You won't understand what he's talking about. And we're going to talk about that next time we get together. Just want you to know we're talking about hearing, hearing in the spirit. We must not only believe in a spirit world, we've got to know how to operate in the spirit world. It's not a spooky place. I'm not talking about you being spooky. I know Christians that act so spooky and weird that it just is it, it's, it's frustrating. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about living a real life like Jesus did. You know, Jesus it wasn't like the pictures that you see. You know, the guy with the sad face, the little halo above his head. and all. He was a normal man. Lived in a man's body. And he walked around and people liked him. And people hated him. The normal people liked him. The religious people hated him because of what he said. But we need to understand we've got to live and understand a spiritual world. Not be spooky. Understand it. Most Christians are carnal. And they're only aware of the physical and mental world they live in. Because the only spiritual food they get is maybe an hour once a month on a Sunday. Maybe they go three times. Maybe they, maybe more. The only word that they hear is just that little bit that they get. Wouldn't it be terrible if the only meal you got was one on Sunday and you didn't get to eat the rest of the week? We've got to be spiritually minded. Only by staying in the Word, praying in the Spirit, fellowshipping with God, that makes us spiritually aware. Here's what the Bible says in 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God. We've got to try them. The devil wants you to think he's the spirit of God. He wants you to think that, 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 that he is, God's talking to you. The Bible says he's an angel of light. He's a messenger of deception. So we've got to learn to discern between the two. The only way to discern between the two is with the word. Now, the twofold way to find out if something's from God, if it's God, it'll glorify Jesus and it'll help people if it's God. Now, I'm going to go back to my passage here so we can get real, get some more real. I want us to look at this, at the man in this text. The guy goes to the pool every day. Every day he goes to the pool. When I was a teenager, that would have been the most awesome thing in the world to go to the pool every day. I did it most of the time. In, in, in part of my life. I mean, he goes every day. I mean, even if you go to the, if you've got illness in your body, sitting and waiting around a pool every day can't be all bad. I mean, sitting by the pool, all, I know you want to be healed, but I mean, I know the guy's got a great tan. He's sitting by the pool every day. He's out there every day. Every day, all he has to do is go to the pool and hang out. You know he had to make friends there. Had to. I mean, went every day. I mean, even miserable people, when they hang out together, become friends with one another. Okay? I mean, they become friends over their misery. And so he's hanging out by the pool every day with the same people. I mean, he's going, you know, where are you going today? I'm going to go to the pool, hang out with my friends today. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go hang out with my friends. You know, all my friends. There had to be food there. Somebody had to be giving them drinks or selling them stuff or something. There had to be maybe vendors around there. I don't know. But then Jesus comes, and he comes to this one guy. Now, here's i got big questions here. Why didn't Jesus 
just come and wave his hand and heal all of them. Wouldn't that have been a bigger miracle? I mean, you're all healed. I went to a Catherine Coleman meeting one time and she waved her hand and everybody fell down. But Jesus didn't do that. They're all sick. There was a, the Bible says there was a great multitude of sick people. And he went to one guy and didn't heal everybody. A few verses down in that same chapter we read in John, Jesus said he only did what he saw the Father do. He saw, now wait a minute, he's a spirit man just like you and I. He heard in the spirit, saw in the spirit that guy. So he went to that guy. The problem many charismatic Christians have today is they think they can wave their hand and heal them all. When the Father didn't show them to do that. They saw somebody else do it. They think they can do it. From his spirit, Jesus saw the Father healing one guy through him. So that's what he did. One guy. Not everybody there. So we've been talking about receiving this manifestation. Jesus told us that we must, we must have or possess the word. We must keep the word, treasure it, to do it. So having and keeping the word is proof we love him and that will bring about the manifest, manifestation of him. He'll become real to us. In this passage, this is what the real Jesus does. He only does what the Father tells him to do. And that's what he expects you to do. Nothing less and nothing more. That ought to take a lot of pressure off of you. You don't have to heal everybody that's sick. Just the ones the Father tells you to go to. You don't have to. You don't have to preach and be a witness to every server at the restaurant. I remember back in the days, man, we were giving tracts to everybody. I don't remember one person who ever got saved. Now my son, when he was four, he led the lady at Penny's to the Lord because he went to everybody. He finally got one. And that lady got saved right behind the Penny's counter. Jesus came to this man, asked the question, will you be made whole? The Amplified verse says, do you want to become well? Or are you really earnest about getting well? The Message Bible says, do you want to get well? So here, now Jesus said, do you want to get well? Do you want it? Do you want it? What does that mean? That means his will had something to do with it. He had to want it. Wait a minute. You mean Jesus didn't just go and say, you're healed, get up. No, no, he said, do you want it? What did he say to the woman with the issue of blood? He didn't even know who she was. She didn't know anything about her. Didn't even pray for her. She touched him. He felt virtue. He turned and said, your faith has made you whole. He didn't say, I made you whole. He didn't say, God made you whole. He said, your faith made you whole. In other words, her healing was up to his power, but it was up to her will. She had to want it. She fought through the crowd to get there. He said, he said, do you want that? See, the answer seems obvious. We've already talked about that. Of course he wants to be well, doesn't he? Doesn't he want to be well? Do you know that not everybody wants to be made well? Not everybody wants to be delivered. 
I mean, because when you get made whole, when you get delivered, you're responsible for your own condition and you can't blame anybody else. Many are more comfortable in their misery because they can at least blame somebody else. Well, you know, and this guy blames some other people at the end here. I mean, when we take responsibility for our own situation, we come to a place when we see that there are things that we can do maybe to get out of this mess. The woman with the issue of blood said, I'm going to touch him. Jairus said, I'm coming to get you, Jesus. He said, do you want to be whole? I mean, God, we, we can have excuse after excuse after excuse. But God is not convinced by our excuses. I heard somebody say one time, excuses are nothing more than the nails used in building a house of failure. God's looking for faith and whether you really want it. I read a, fo- Facebook, a post on Facebook years ago because I haven't been on there in a long time. But this guy said, they sent my census form back again. In response to the question, do you have any dependents? I replied, 12 million illegal immigrants, 3 million crackheads, 42 million unemployable people, 2 million people in over 243 prisons, and multiple idiots in the U.S. House and Senate. <laughs> Apparently, this was not an acceptable answer. <laughs> We're responsible. The man is of the opinion that it's up to somebody else to get him into the pool. He thinks it's up to the angel to bring him the healing. Isn't that right? Somebody else. I mean, he thinks he's entitled to this and that he doesn't have to do anything and that if it's the will of God, it'll happen. And so Jesus said, do you want to be healed? I mean, he thought he didn't have to do anything. It's up to somebody else. Listen, it's not up to somebody. It's not up to the government to keep you safe. It's not for the government to provide you a place to live or buy your groceries. It's, it's, it's up to you, up to me, to believe God and do what He says do. I mean, the Scripture says, the righteous, I have never seen the righteous begging for bread. Doesn't mean you won't go through hard times in your life. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying we need to understand God is the God of His Word. Compassion is not just... Poof, here you're, you're wealthy. Poof, no, compassion is letting you, is learning to love God, rely on God for a permanent solution. And that's what he wants to do. The man is waiting for an angel or a man. That's craziness. Waiting, the word, when we're talking about waiting, we're talking about to receive something from somebody else. I mean, Jesus shows that the man's will is involved. If you, if, you, if, you, if you want an angel to help you, here's how it works. Psalm 103.20 Bless the Lord, ye His angels that excel in strength, that do His commandments, hearkening unto the voice of His word. I mean, you better get the word in your mouth if you want an angel to help you. It's up to you. That's where angelic help comes from. I did a sermon one time and I had a young man walk in the, in the church building with, and he had angel's wings on him and he had a sign. And instead, of, instead of, we'll work for food, <laughs> he said, I'll work for word. And he was an angel. The angels go to work for the word. That's what they do. The usher tried to stop him, but he finally figured out he didn't need to. <laughs> what happens if you trust in man? The government? I don't know. Grandpa, aunt, uncle. Here's what Jeremiah 17 says. Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, 
and whose heart departeth from the Lord. For he shall be like a heath in the desert, and shall not see when good cometh, but he shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land not inhabited. You won't trust a man. The next verse is, Blesses the man that trusts in the Lord. It's really good. We've got to trust in the Lord. So here's this guy. He's by the pool. He's just singing the blues. I mean, it's all bad. Everything's bad. I mean, I, he says in verse 7, I have no man. The Amplified says, I have nobody. The message says, I don't have anybody. Doesn't that sound like singing the, singing the blues? I ain't got nobody. I ain't got nobody. I ain't got nobody. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody. Nobody knows. When he hauled you sing that song, Gloom, despair, and agony on me. Why did she leave me here all alone? I searched the world over and thought I found true love, but she met another and she was gone. And somewhere in there they say, if it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. <laughs> Woe is me. It is so bad. But then one day, Jesus came. The Word came in the flesh. And He said, do you want to be well? And the next thing Jesus said to the man, after He explained why He couldn't be well, He said, rise. The, the Message Bible says, get up. Take up your bed and walk. All of a sudden, the Messiah is there. He's at this porch of grace, but now the one of completion is there. And Jesus said, get up. And I mean immediately, he went from singing the blues to singing, oh, happy day. Because now all of a sudden, everything changed. The Messiah said, will you be whole? The Messiah said, rise, take up your bed and walk. At some point, we just have to do what Jesus tells us to do. The command was impossible. He couldn't walk. It was impossible. But the enablement of God is always embedded in His command. The miracle is in His Word. It was in the Word. In other words, the miracle is in the Word and can only be manifested when we obey. And when the Word said, get up, the miracle was present to get up. The Scripture doesn't say Jesus took him by the hand. The Scripture doesn't say Jesus folded up his mat. The Scripture doesn't say any of that. The Scripture says Jesus commanded him. And he simply figured out in this instant of time, this is the Word of God. And he simply believed what Jesus said. And he got up. I mean, that's what faith is all about. It's simply believing him. Having and keeping the word. He kept the word. He did what the word said. I mean, he, he gave absolute credence to everything Jesus said. Faith is selling out to the word because we understand that faith is about getting God what he wants. Letting God have everything I have and doing what he wants to do in me. I mean, that's when the Word works, is when we obey it, we do what it says, even if we don't understand it. By the way, you can believe what you don't understand. Did you know that? You don't have to, be, you don't have to understand it to believe it. I, I believe the light comes on when I turn the switch. I don't understand it. I, I know there's electricity, and I did go to general science in the eighth grade, I think. But, and there's more to it than that, but I, I, I just believe it. I turn the light switch on, and it comes on. And you know what? If it doesn't, I'm disappointed. Then I've got to call somebody. 
Faith is believing it, no matter what the circumstance looks like. It becomes the final authority in my life. 1 John 5, 4 says, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. We don't want to be sitting, waiting on God, and singing the blues. We want to be looking for Him, looking for what He says, looking in the Spirit for the answers. Where Okay, this is going on, God. This circumstance violates everything your word says. Now, what do I do? What do I see? I'm not going to panic. I'm going to do what you said. Whatever you tell me, I'm going to do that. Because I know that's the way out of here. I'm asking you to move in with me and run my life. Let's pray. Father, tonight we thank you. We thank you that there's a spirit world out there. And that we are citizens of that spirit world and we have every right and responsibility to work in that spirit world the way you've designed us to work father we love you we honor you we thank you for your word and we give you praise for it tonight in jesus name amen